Hey, what's up, guys? Hope y'all are having an absolutely fantastic day. Here we are stepping into another day of restoration where new life begins, embracing the truth and the reality that God has something absolutely amazing set aside for each and every one of us. I'm excited to see what that is here because today what we're doing is we're continuing our podcast addressing the signs of the times. Now, last time we looked at this, the very first one that we were focusing on in this particular series, when we're looking at signs of the days and addressing the importance of so many things that are happening in the world around us, we, we focused on the truth that Israel is absolutely essential to all of this. When you're looking back at biblical prophecy and you're paying attention to things from the last 1800, 1900 years, there's so much that helps us come to fruition when we pay attention to what's happening today. The fact that Israel exists at all is a miracle. We talked a lot about the details and the magnificence of that nation and how God is continuing to work through that. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to step into uh, this focal point or or a different area. We're going to look at the idea of modern Europe versus ancient Rome. We're going to focus on the vision, the dream that Daniel was given by Nebuchadnezzar, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had when we look at Daniel chapter 2. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to that. If you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to be. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, kind of picking up in verse 31. Now, if you've had a chance to look at that story at all, it's a pretty amazing story. You remember uh, from a history standpoint what has happened to the people of God. 722 BC, the Assyrians take over the northern tribes of Israel For the next 130 years, the southern tribes of Judah still continue to exist, but they're going to fall apart pretty quickly. Nebuchadnezzar comes in around 606, and that's at the point at which Daniel and all of the the, the Jews there were basically dispersed, sent into different locations, taken into captivity, Daniel and his three friends. And then it would be 586 B.C. when when the temple itself would actually be destroyed. Now, when we look at world history, the last great empire on earth impacting the most people in the world was the Roman Empire. Now, this empire existed at a magnificent level from around 27 BC until about 395 AD. Now, it was around prior to that, but it didn't have the power and the influence that it had from around 27 BC to about 395 AD. And since then, there have been leaders who have tried and failed to rule the world, but the day is coming when you're going to have a revived one world empire that will basically set the stage for the coming of the Antichrist. Now, over the, 250, the, the 2,500 years uh, since the time of Daniel, we've seen others who have attempted to do that. We've seen others who have tried to raise up national powers, and they've been unsuccessful in doing that. But what's fascinating here is what we see taking place in Daniel chapter 2, because this is what we're going to be focusing on. Now, you remember the, the, the situation, you remember the story. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that bothered him. He needed to find an answer to that dream. The story is in Daniel chapter 2. He wakes up and wants to find an answer to what's going on. So he calls together all of his, his sorcerers, his leaders, his wise folks, according to whatever he would assume to be wise. He would, even, even Daniel and his friends would be considered part of this, this group of wise counselors and asks them, to tell him what the interpretation of the dream is. Now, they're like, please tell us what the dream is, and then we'll interpret it for you. But what's interesting is here he begins to twist things a little bit. He says, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. In fact, you need to tell me what the dream is and then interpret it for me. They complain about it and say, look, that's impossible. You're asking something of us that no one has ever asked of anybody before. So how could we possibly even begin to do this? And he, he basically reminds them, look, I'm asking this of you, and if you're not willing to do this of me, then you're lying. 
and you're buying time for yourself. And they're unable to fulfill what he's asking of them. So he goes and basically says that they're all going to be killed, that everything is going to fall apart for them. Now, one of the captains of the guard there go to Daniel. He's going to kill him and all of his friends. And Daniel says, well, let me just have a little bit of time. And so Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, says, let me pray through this and ask my God what's going on. And God blesses him with the answer to this right here. He spends time praying. God gives him the answer. He goes back to Nebuchadnezzar and tells him what the dream is all about. We, we have the dream of this massive statue. We have a head of gold. We have the chest of arms and silver. We have the belly and the thighs of bronze. We have the legs of iron and we have the feet that are a mixture of iron and clay. Now, the four metals represent four very distinct empires that would rule the world prior to the establishment of the kingdom of God under Christ because all of that is leading to that point, to the millennial reign of Christ. That's the direction everything is going right now. But Daniel goes on to explain all of this. We know that the head of gold, the kingdom of gold, that's Babylon. Verse 38, when you look at Daniel, chapter 2 says, you are the head of gold. Again, this kingdom was established in 606 BC, and it lasted about 70 years. It was a very wealthy kingdom. It was known as the Golden Kingdom. Following them, we have the Medo-Persian Empire. We see what happens there with Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. We see the handwriting on the wall. If you're looking at the book of Daniel, we recognize how they're able to defeat the Babylonians at this point. Pretty amazing story, pretty fascinating story, but we have the Medo-Persian Empire rising up. This is the kingdom of silver. This is the chest. These are the arms right here because it's divided. We understand the story there. Then we move a little bit further down on this statue. We come to the kingdom of bronze. This would be Greece. Now, Greece was the kingdom of Philip. Philip of Macedonia, we know his son, Alexander the Great, more so than anything else. Alexander extended the Greek empire over the known world in Macedonia, Asia Minor, the Middle East, North Africa, Mesopotamia. This man, in a very short time and at a very young age, was able to expand this empire to a, to a height and to a width and to a breadth that nobody had ever seen before. And it was pretty magnificent, and he did it very, very quickly. And then eventually he would die again at a very young age. Things would be divided up among generals there. And, and we would move into the next kingdom, which would be the kingdom of iron. This is where we see Rome. This kingdom dominated Greece afterwards, after Alexander the Great and, and the great division that would happen there. And it would become the most influential kingdom in the history of the world to that point. And then as we move further south, we look at the, the feet and the toes here of iron and clay. This kingdom that's going to rise up is one that has not yet come into existence. This is a revived Roman empire. This is important because this kingdom is still in the future. Now the ten toes on the feet of the statue represent ten divisions or ten sections. Those Ten divisions or sections did not exist during the original days of the Roman Empire, so they remain for the future. That's what we're focusing on. These are the things that we're looking at right now. So if we were to pay attention to our culture today, if we were to pay attention to what's going on in the world today, could we see any part of this rising up? Could we see a unification here? Could we see a coming together of nations within the European context that might develop a revived Roman Empire. And I think it's pretty fascinating when you start paying attention to what's been going on since about 1946. 
Now, you've got to remember context is so important. You, you remember the early part of the, the 1900s when you have World War I, and then you step into World War II. You see how amazingly horrible the Nazis were with the Holocaust and the killing of Jews. You see the destruction that happened throughout all of Europe and the speed with which they were able to do it. When you start paying attention to the history of World War II, it's pretty fascinating. The Germans were successful not because of their manpower and because of their technology, but because of their speed. They moved and would conquer nations and governments in, the, in a matter of days and weeks rather than months and years, and that terrified people. So as a response to that, as the world ends, there's this this tendency to want to create some type of unified government, some type of unified organization within the context of Europe. Now, what's going to be interesting about all of that, and I'm going to show you this here in just a second, what's interesting about all of that is in the context of that unification, like iron, you have something that would be very strong, but you also have clay, which means this is very has the potential to crumble very quickly. And when you start looking at all the nations that are going to be joined together here, it is very easy to see how everything could fall, of our, fall apart very, very quickly. So 1946, let's, I'm just going to give you a couple of dates of things that took place from 1946 until 1913, until 2013. 1946, Winston Churchill powerfully declares the tragedy of Europe could only be solved if the issues of ancient nationalism and sovereignty gave way to a sense of European national grouping. He said the path to European peace and prosperity on the world stage was clear. We must build a United States of Europe. He's emphasizing the fact that everybody needs to come together in one group, in one confederation, in one government with one currency. That's where it begins, 1946, following World War II, following all of the destruction that happened in Europe because of the, Nazi Germany, the Nazis in Germany. 1948. At a conference in Brussels, Belgium, a foundation was laid for a new organization known as the European Economic Community. The meeting was attended by three nations, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium. They saw unity as the only hope of survival in a post-World War. March 25th, 1957, a treaty was signed one of, on one of the seven famous hills of Rome. Remarkably, remarkably, the agreement was called the Treaty of Rome. It brought together Italy, France, and Germany. These nations joined the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium in the European economic community. 1973, England, Ireland, and Denmark joined the European economic community. 1981, Greece joins the European economic community, which made a 10-nation confederation. Now, some people would look at this and say, hey, here's our 10 nations that we need. You have to pay attention to the prophecy. It doesn't mean 10 nations. It's talking about 10 kingdoms or 10 leaders that would rise up. So it doesn't necessarily have to be just 10 nations that are a part of this. Because what do we see happening? January 1st, 1986, Spain and Portugal are added. And the European Economic Community is officially adopting the goal of a politically unified Europe. They, they want to make that the purpose of what they're doing. 1989, what do we see happening? The Berlin Wall is dismantled. 1991, the Soviet Union is dissolved. December 31st, 1992, the economic borders between the nations of the European Economic Community were removed. 1993, the European Union is formed. The European Economic Community joins the European Union and was renamed the European 
community. Do you see how everything is beginning to come together? All of these nations are pulling together in one unified group. 1995, three more members are added to the European Union, Austria, Finland, and Sweden. 2002, 80 billion coins were produced for use in the participating nations, in 12 participating nations, introducing what we know as the euro. So not only are they looking for political unification, they're also looking for economic financial unification with one currency there. May 1st, 2004, Cyprus, the Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Malta, Poland, Slovakia, and Slovenia all became members of the European Union. This right here, this combination of these nations expanded the population of the European Union to 450 million people, surpassing, surpassing North America as the world's largest economic zone. You see a sense of, of unity coming between them, a very brittle sense of unity. They recognized there was strength there. That's the iron part of this. But the clay is so evident as well because all of this could crumble very, very quickly. 2007, Romania and Bulgaria joined the European Union. 2009, the European community's institutions were absorbed into the European Union, uh, it, it were absorbed and the European Union ceased to exist. 2013, Croatia joins the European Union. All of these nations have come together. All of these nations have one goal in mind to create a sense of unity both politically and economically. Now, what's pretty fascinating is when you look at where they are geographically, they're covering the location geographically of the former Roman Empire. So this could be the rise of, again, the revitalization of another Roman Empire with unified governments, unified political purposes, unified power, consolidated power. Now, in the days of the Roman world, in the Roman Empire, there was one ruling power in the Western world. That was Rome. That's not been true since that empire fell apart. Years ago, this seemed impossible for one person to rule the world. And yet today, with our technology, with our capabilities in communication, with the commerce and all that we are capable of doing on, on different sides of the world, the fact that our technology gives us the capability to look and see what's happening on the opposite side of the planet right now is fascinating. We were in, uh, in Israel a couple of months ago, and my wife and I were talking on the phone. And the United States was seven hours behind Israel. It was about nine o'clock in Israel. We were down at the Western Wall, and it was so funny because I'm standing there with Pastor Mark, and we're talking about it, and, and he says, hey, tell Juliet to go on to, the, to this website to see a live version of the Western Wall right now and see if she can see us. And sure enough, in a matter of minutes, she had picked up where we were. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon here. It was 9 o'clock there where we were, and she was able to see us instantly. That's the type of technology and communication that we see going on right now. The Antichrist is going to rise up as a leader in the midst of this revived Roman Empire. And there's going to be an opposition to God. There's going to be an opposition to everything biblical. There's going to be an opposition to Israel as a whole. And we see what's happening here. You know, I, I shared with you before, if you pay attention to some of the things that are going on right now in the world from a political standpoint, from a military standpoint, three things you need to be able to have control of in order to create a sense of unity and power within your country. You need to be able to control food. You need to have food. You need to have water. And you need to have some type of energy source, whether you're 
you're talking about oil, wind, water, whatever else. The primary one is going to be oil. When you look at what's going on right now, when you pay attention to all the things that are taking place throughout the world right now, when you see the attacks from certain countries upon others, what are they doing? There's an attempt to create a control over natural gas or oil. There's an attempt to control the breadbasket of Europe, which is in Poland right now, uh, and in the Ukraine. It's amazing when you start paying attention to what's happening in the world and how all of these things are being consolidated together. Now, what's going to happen with the Antichrist? He's going to come, and he's going to establish some type of treaty there with Israel for seven years. We know that he's only going to abide by it for three and a half years, and then chaos is going to erupt in the last three and a half years. Now, I I tend to be a pre-trib person, so I believe the rapture of the church has already taken place, and I believe the church will not be here in the midst of all these things going on. So what do we do? People are going to ask this question. Shouldn't they recognize who the Antichrist is? Shouldn't they be able to see that? And, and honestly, you would think, yeah, absolutely. Why is Israel going to make a treaty here? Should they make this covenant with the Antichrist? And the obvious answer for us as we're looking at this is no. And yet, when you look at what the book of Isaiah says, chapter 28, verse 18, what's fascinating is the fact that this has already been predicted. They shouldn't make this covenant, and yet that's exactly what they do. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 18. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. He, what is, what's happening right here? They're going to make this catastrophic covenant with death. Not only because scripture prophesies it, but also because their own pride is going to blind them to the truths of who God is and what God longs for them to have in the depth of their relationship with him. Beyond pride, though, remember that this this coming period of time is also going to be a period of great fear. You know, after the rapture of the church, the tribulation is going to begin, and you're going to see one of the most devastating times in the history of humanity. It's going to begin the most devastating time. Again, the church isn't going to be here, I don't believe, but you're going to have a loss of life on a level we've never begun to grasp in our time period. Uh, it, it's like anything. It's not like anything that we have ever seen before. That's when the Antichrist is going to show up. That's when he's going to bring up, attempt to bring together a sense of unity. And I think it's going to be, again, looking at what we see here in the midst of all of this. Because paying attention to the, the iron clay feet there that are presented in the, the vision the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that Daniel is able to interpret is so important for us to recognize this. When the Antichrist arrives, everyone's going to be on hard times. Israel is going to be looking for a way out of extremely difficult times. The sad reality is that joining in league with the Antichrist is only going to make things worse. It's only going to make things worse more so than they could ever possibly imagine. Now, there's no doubt that what we see right now in our time period is is a far different season in life, far different than we've ever seen before, far different than I believe mankind has seen in the last 1900 years. The question you really have to ask in all of this is, are we ready for it? God's plans and purposes don't wait on anyone. So we need to either spend time understanding this And stop battling him on everything or prepare ourselves for the hardships that will come. 
If we're surrendering to him, we're going to experience the salvation through him, the rapture of the church. We won't be a part of this. If we have not given our lives to him, then what's going to follow in the midst of that tribulation time period is going to be devastating. Now, again, you can ask the question, what day and time do you see this taking place? I'm not here to say that because that's not biblical to do that. What I am doing is paying attention to the signs. When you take what we've talked about with Israel and the fact that Israel was established May 14th, 1948, and you see the fact that this nation has grown, that there has been a blossoming in the desert, there's tremendous hope in the midst of all of that. And then what you see happening right here, because again, Israel being reestablished is, is a truth that was presented in Scripture. And then all of a sudden you start paying attention to this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the vision and the, and the interpretation that Daniel gives. You begin to see all of these facts coming together. We might look at it as, hey, this is just political news. This is just the way things are going together. But when you look at them in the light of what the Word of God says all of this stuff begins to make a little bit of sense like i told you before every single generation since the, since jesus has has ascended into heaven has been waiting for jesus to return every single generation is expecting them to come back at his time that's the reason paul's talking to the church in thessalonica he wants them to stop wasting their time looking at the sky waiting for jesus to come back and to actually spend their time living their lives out the way that they should right now but again with the hope that one day jesus is going to return every generation has had that desire what's different the first thing is that israel exists at all the second is we see right here this sense of prophecy being fulfilled with European unity taking place. Again, that being rooted back when? 1946. We see where all of these things are beginning, and in light of Scripture, they begin to make sense. I hope that you're as fascinated with it as I am. When I look at this, I don't look at this with a sense of, of gloom and doom. I don't look at this with a sense of fear at all. What I do is look at this with a sense of hope, but I also look at this with a sense of motivation. We have a message to share. Jesus saves. We have a purpose. And, and I shared this as I was preaching just this past weekend. We have a message. We have one purpose as believers in Jesus Christ, to know God and to make him known. Our job is to know God in a deep and intimate way and to make sure that others around us know him as well. So my prayer is that today we would continue to study his word, to continue to pay attention to the signs, to continue to focus on what he's teaching us and what he's showing us and making sure that the entire world knows who Jesus is so that we're ready when the rapture takes place. Thanks so much, guys, for joining in. Thanks for spending time here. I'm excited. I pray that you'll continue to join in with these podcasts, with these lessons, these short, brief moments. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to ask. I would love to try to answer them and work together to find the answers if I don't know them right off the top of my head. And believe me, there's a lot of questions uh, that I don't know the answers to right off my head. I enjoy the studying part. I enjoy the reading part. I enjoy what God is doing in the midst of all of this. So if you have questions, please don't hesitate. We're going to continue this journey together looking at the signs of the time. I'm praying you have an absolutely fantastic day. Thanks again for joining in. God bless you guys. Know that you're loved and constantly being prayed for.